people of the earth, however many of you are left, we're going to do something a little different, yet extremely the same this week. Are we actually going to number this episode? Are we going to fucking number this? I don't know. I might make it just like a special or something. We'll see. It's a That's a good question, we, actually. No, we feel like we could, we could come up with a whole thing like Wee-Woo-Hell-Purgatory or something like that. Wee-Woo-Hell. Wee-Woo-Purgatorio. Wee-Woo-Paradiso. Oh, man, can we just work, like, Bayonetta-level names into this? Oh, man, I... Can I get the ice skates that you, like, zip around and it freezes stuff behind you? Wow, that is really on the nose now that I think about it. Maybe it is. I don't know. I didn't play Bayonetta. Today's really different thing for you is adjacent to Bayonetta because Bayonetta is a video game. I looked at the beautiful success of my semi-audible dating sim designs last time and thought... This self-indulgence needs its own episode. So we did more. We both did more. I did one more. He did three more. I think my one more ends up being a little bit on the longer side, so it evens out somewhat. Oh, yeah. Sam actually completed the uh, school assignment. <laughs> and, I don't know, I guess I'm the kid in class desperate for love he's not getting at home. Before we get into these, I did not really foresee... Just, hey, we should play Katawa Shoho for an episode, turning into a pretty extended riff now. Oh, yeah, but this episode, I think we will basically have an album's worth of these riffs. Like, Honestly, we God, like, we spent sometime. two, I think, non-consecutive weeks, right? Yeah, two non-consecutive weeks on, on Katawa Shoho and Doki Doki, and then there was, you know, the the fake dating sims and now there's more fake dating sims this is at least three episodes of this show i like to think of it Uh, as a sequence or a movement which is to say that i am very much like mozart like we've spent as much time on the show wasting our time with fucking dating sim bullshit as we have talking about char aznable slash aaron yeager which is a real achievement i actually think that we've spent more time talking about than aaron yeager specifically aaron yeager who Got his own episode and, you know, still needs another one of his own episodes. Oh, we're going to need a real postscript on the whole Aaron Yeager saga. Maybe we should just not talk about Attack on Titan until it wraps up because it feels like it's wrapping up pretty soon. Like, we, we, we are approaching the, uh, the final battle. The man speaks truth. Before we get into the meat of this, and I guess it's related to the topic of romance, so I get to it. The one thing I will say is I am still amused by the fact that he will toss the broken shipping men a fragment of a bone and then just plow forward into stuff that's actually interesting. <laughs> he hasn't abandoned it, them. He hasn't embraced them. He, he remembers throws, them. He remembers them. He throws the dog the meat it needs to stay alive. <laughs> there. And, like, to his credit, he actually makes it a pretty focal point of the narrative. Just, you know, the final decision, I guess, that he makes. Um, th- That's cute. That's all, like, that's all you're ever going to fucking get. But, you know, that's... It's something. It's, it's, it's scraps, can, but it's something. You can take that rock gently back and forth in front of your statues of, I know, Aaron and Ymir and his story or whatever you people do. But on to the main body of Weeaboo Hell Supplement 1, Title TBD, 
don't know, Weeaboo, Satan's Pitchfork, whatever. Well, uh, for dating I'm gonna make you think of it. Pitches. I can't think of it. Oh yeah, yeah, you do. You start. <laughs> so out of my three, pitch one, over the top. Premise: All's fair in love and trench warfare. Can like you confess <laughs> before charging to a meaningless death? I can't remember if this was the dumbest one or not. It really might be. Like I am impressed. Did you by- do the? Was the one with the robots? Did, did you do that in the last episode? That, that that's coming up. That's coming up. Okay. Oh, spoilers. Sorry. Sorry. There, there, if, if, if the narrative of my fake dating sims is actually <laughs> wait, we're my biggest fan. Shit, we need to cherish that person. What the fuck are you doing? All right, over the top. As I said, the premise, all's fair in love and trench warfare. Can you confess before charging to a meaningless death? Which I love, by the way. Setting, (laughs) the French trenches of the Battle of Verdun. Sidebar, Verdun is a lot like hell, but stickier. It's like, yeah, not hell, but... Almost as hot. Uh, a little bit more rancid, maybe. I don't know. If, are we thinking of, like, fire and brimstone hell? Or are we thinking about, you know, like Dungeons and Dragons hell where basically every horrible thing is represented? I guess the one where Mammon ha- hangs out. <laughs> M- M- Mammon hangs out in, like, this horrible fucking swamp. Uh, and I, I think it's this one. That, that's that's for done. For done is, I think that's layer five. Yeah, it's like layer, don't quote me. It's like layer five, and I don't know, chemical warfare is in its punk rock phase. Mm-hmm. So our main character, Celeste Allard, a recent Paris recruit and a girl with the economy in ruins, she's disguised herself as Seal Manly and enlisted for three square meals a day. Due to supply issues, there is only one meal a day, consisting of saltines. Which are at least square. I forgot that all these are actually Otome games that you designed. Which I want to say that's that's not the lion's share of the uh, of the VN market. So what can I know, say? There's, I'm a fucking there's artist. An industry you could be breaking into here. Yeah. I just believe in Hungry breaking down boundaries. Dave Chappelle said you should be the second black person to do something, and I'm sure. Some other <laughs> sad Jamaican fuck has already made a dating sim, so I'm going to do the uh, post-ironic phase. Wait, no, this is just the ironic phase. Whatever. It's almost poisonously ironic. Yeah, dude. Uh, if your liver's bad, watch out for this episode. I think this can induce cirrhosis. The, the, the irony of quantities here. Husbandos. One. Alexander. The first friend you made in the army. He cracked jokes as you learned to hold a gun, clean a gun, hold each other for warmth under the moonlit sky, and shoot a gun. Oh yeah, he's ready for confessing. You're gonna confess him so hard. <laughs> Two, Jack, another secret girl. She might be the only one that understands your situation, but how can you confess without exposing you both to sniper fire? These are the big questions. I'm asking the big questions here. Baron. Driven to despair by the apparent end of the world, Baron enlisted to die on his own terms. Namely, quickly. 
It's going to be hard to confess before Baron charges into a machine gun nest. He's going to be like huffing mustard gas. I'm like wondering... I'm questioning the naming choice for Baron a little bit here because there is a dude, you know, whose name is Baron, right? Mm-hmm. Very much associated with World War One. Man, there goes my fucking Hugo Award. I feel like there's a quick fix to this. <laughs> Robert. Robert, People there we go. Robert. Yeah, his name is Robert. Robert. Robert is a death Because, like, you're just, you're just going to invite the comparison, and the, the two characters do not seem to have really anything in common. That's fair, and at least our current fucking dictator light only doesn't have any children named Robert, so that's some other skin off our back. Yeah. Oh, I was thinking about the Red Baron. Hmm. But, like, the, yeah, there's, there's, like, the one who's apparently a weeb. That's fun fact. Oh, hey, uh, if you're if you're listening to this young man, I just want to let you know it's a hard life, and it's can only feel harder sometimes, especially people talking about you and your family. But that doesn't mean you can't take the chance to kill your father. <laughs> I would never incite a random citizen to true political violence. That'll be irresponsible. I am, however, under the shielding laws of satire. <laughs> allows to tell Baron Trump to kill his father. And You'd he be remember as one of history's greatest heroes. Like to get the Weeaboo Hell Medal of Freedom. I might actually have to cut that. but I... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a stinger. All right. Rupert. The captain doesn't like you. He doesn't like your attitude. He doesn't like your lithe, fit form. He certainly doesn't like the soft lighting surrounding him when you're nearby. He'd probably hate it if you confessed. <laughs> Elias. A German gunner? But that's forbidden love! <laughs> no deep, blue eyes could be worth that. No matter how full of unconditional love. Confess to someone else. Lisette. A nurse from the countryside that sees through you immediately. Which makes sense because she's also your childhood best friend. Maybe you should say something before you die. Like a confession. Then we have, you know, just a little story outline to, you know, show you how these routes sort of play out the similar beats. Just so we're clear, you die in every route, right? We'll, we'll see spoiler <laughs> volume spoiler pants. Like, I can't think of a version of this game where you don't die in every route. I don't know, maybe C.L. Manley, distinct from Futurama's Chet Manley, is history's greatest warrior. Ever consider that? Go on. Do you know why? Because this is two Mulan's worth of woke, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Act 1. Orders are in. You're in the next group going across no man's land. That means you only have three hours to find love on the battlefield. But everyone's so busy crying in the mud... That they can barely hear each other, let alone the heartbeat of love. <laughs> Act 2. Anyone have a shot? You get drunk with the rest of the dead men and learn more about your love interests. You talk about your hopes and dreams, such as staying alive and not choking on <laughs> mustard gas. <laughs> then you share a good laugh. You'll definitely be choking on mustard gas. 
The tension's strong, but you can't find it in you to confess. Or sleep. Act 3. Are we doing this or what? You're found out. The general needs fresh bodies, so you're still joining the next charge. He calls it a historic achievement for the women of the world. Now you've only got one hour to confess. <laughs> Act 4. For France. You're late. It's time to charge across no man's land. If you confess to your love interest, they'll make the empty, futile gesture of shielding you from machine gun fire. The typewriter of death chews through them in seconds, leaving you to take the rest of the ammo belt. The last thing you see is the rest of your squad falling, joining you in the murk. And if you fail to confess, you're still cut down by machine gun fire. Alone. <laughs> Act 5. Darkness imprisoning me. <laughs> you survived. Technically. A combination of bullets and gas have turned what's left of you into a parody of life. But you'll always remember those magical, romantic hours before the state used you for a failed charge to take a hill no one wanted, for a battle that changed nothing in a war that never needed to happen. Doki? Doki? That was the best fucking gag. I, it's so fast and so good. I can't decide whether I like that one or the or the pantsu one, but we can both agree it is just the best episode. The banter is strong. So, in my second product, I want to do something a little, with a little bit more of an optimistic spirit. Uh, you know, a love story that would uplift the soul. Less of the poisonous cynicism you people have come to like stereotype me with, it, which I, I think is unfair. I think it's undeserved. I think I'm a beacon of light in a dark age. I think the joke at the core of Over the Top is as funny now, Denard, as it was the first time you told it 15 years ago when we met, and more or less every 20 minutes since then. <laughs> oh, excuse me. I'm basically the atomic clock. That is service you cannot pay for. Think about what I do for a society. Well, you definitely don't like it. <laughs> If I had perfect pitch, I'd be doing the fucking You're Welcome song for Moana right now. But now, for our second work, I present We Love You. Premise. Your space station is slowly approaching the sun. Your only hope? Hot androids. Oh my god. <laughs> Can you get them to assume the position? Fallout New Vegas changed everything. Yep. Our main character this time is Maria Ibrahim, the only human survivor of the space station New Hope's collision with an asteroid. As a leading biologist, she was studying the long-term effects of deep space on plant life. She's never been much for romance, but she's always been one for not burning to death countless miles away from the nearest organic life form. Yeah, yeah that, that tends to suck. Not in my top three. Not in my top three. I like to avoid it if possible. Husbandos.exe. I did have to do it once, though. It was pretty shitty. I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah, that was a bad choice. Though. You gotta you gotta pick better routes, you know? You gotta... 
think about 23 was just not a great year for no no it was 22 22 was just kind of a shitty year for me but like things got better when i was 23 oh everyone i wish sam a happy birthday his gift is uh, insanity uh, back to on. our husbandos <laughs> one imperator <laughs> The hive intelligence behind the station's <laughs> security droids. Sometimes you get the feeling that they were intended less to watch over you and more to watch you, but they've always been kind. They'd be a good ally to have, as long as you can deal with them being anywhere and everywhere, always watching. I think this this paragraph is... <laughs> Like, you know, when when you have, you know, a radio host, right, or a podcast host, right, they are just a voice, right? You know, they, they, they might be a voice with a personality. So if any of y'all ever wanted to really just know Denard deeply as a person, <laughs> honestly, that paragraph is all you really fucking need. <laughs> it's nice to be better friends with you all. I think we really come together in that moment. There's, like, very... Little else that you need to understand afterwards. I like uh, this one Jamaican stew. It's called pig's tail stew. It's my favorite food. That's pretty much all you're missing. That's good. I wish I liked kidney beans more. Otherwise, I'd like it. But, um, I'll try this variant next time. You might, you might dig it more. Yeah, okay. Husbando 2. Captain Jonas. The captain uploaded his consciousness into a construction android. At least... That's what he claims. The android's hands have flecked of dried red liquid on them, and the captain said the man-machine transfer seemed as much like death as anything else. Either way, there's always been some unresolved tension between you and the captain. But the crisis should keep things... professional. Sorry, Imperator was like, that's a tough act to follow. Isn't it? Then we have <laughs> Navigator. The ship's primary passenger service AI. He's not technically an android. His body is more for show than anything else. He's taken on a philosophical tone since the loss of your pairs, questioning the nature of survival, free will, and the point of either in a world of no discernible god. As moving as his existential angst is, you hope that he doesn't vent the airlock to make some kind of point. And then, we have Adam... A cyborg bottle baby or co-workers downstairs grew for the military. <laughs> Adam is just as determined to make it back to Earth as you, in order to fulfill his primary function of annihilating the Rebellion. You have some sympathy for the Rebels, but you have more sympathy for staying alive. As a newborn, Adam is a little... socially awkward. He blushes whenever romance, sex, or running out of air comes up. Then there is Orlando.java, <laughs> a pesky virus that sees control of a comely monitoring probe. Orlando is perky, emotionally available, and the most likely culprit for the station failing to detect an oncoming asteroid. <laughs> While Orlando shows a lot of enthusiasm for helping you, you can't imagine his heart is entirely in the right place, especially since he doesn't have one. And then... Auto Butcher. The station... <laughs> uh, 
Uh, <laughs> I'm tired, Denard. <laughs> Auto butcher. The station's onboard butcher. <laughs> Depressed by the lack of meat for his craft since the collision wiped out the bioprinters, livestock, and food storage. <laughs> Tends to lag a few feet behind you, bemoaning the lack of raw material. <laughs> Definitely a problem. Has a six pack if it helps. Act one. Some like it hot. You were asleep when the asteroid hit. You had a date with a security officer tomorrow, and he didn't want to look as sleep-deprived as usual. He died, along with everyone else. Now you're the only conventionally living being on the station, and it's headed towards the sun at a speed you don't want to think about. Your only hope is reaching, repairing, and riding a pod. The onboard systems seem helpful, mostly, but picking the wrong companion might lead to a broken heart and death, burning death. <laughs> Act two, some like it even hotter. You and your partner make your way to the pods, navigating twisted wreckage, rogue military experiments, and airlock breaches. Every other husbando has turned on you, driven to their version of madness or enlightenment by romantic rejection. You don't understand why this is happening, or why it's happening to you, but at least there's someone to hold your hand. I call this a System Shock 3, by the way. Act 3. <laughs> no one likes it this hot. You have three huge problems. The first is fixing the escape pod with no technical expertise whatsoever. The second is your husbando feeling emotionally neglected. The third is delirium setting in from dehydration and oxygen deprivation. Eh. It's going to take an open, gentle heart to navigate your newfound love and the vast swath of hostile space between the station and home. How do you feel about We Love You, Sam? It's definitely a different flavor of Denard. <laughs> but still... You know, so very unmistakably Denard. Is this a uh, Emmy Rinriff? Is this a me at my Rinnest? No, I think this is... If I had to pick, you know, a character that this most reminds me of, it's... I don't know, Ash from Alien? (laughs) (laughs) And now, the sort of jewel of my crown, the bee in my bonnet is called Wear Her Down. Yes, Wear Her Down. Mm. Premise. A dating sim with only one waifu. Okay, content warning for this whole riff. I am basically just riffing on sociopathic behavior within relationships. Said waifu. Jenna. The girl you've loved for three years. She... Doesn't like you. This is a fucking Todd Solon's film. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, brief kayfabe break. uh, What do you direct? Welcome to the dollhouse. Palindromes. Basically the blackest fucking comedies you can imagine. (laughs) Like like if you want to just or go check out the Wikipedia page for one or two of his one or two of his movies and then just, you know, the the subject matter that they are about. 
Sounds like a good time. Sounds like my idea of a party. Mm. She doesn't like you, but that doesn't have to be the end for your love. You just have to make her understand how you feel. Then she can stop wasting time with all that dumb bullshit she's into and her dumb bullshit friends and be happy with you. Versions of you. Naturally, the key to Jenna's love is changing yourself. But which version of you can best chip away at her resistance? Good lord. (laughs) Friendship you. An heir to speak to. A shoulder to cry on. A bed to sleep on. You offer all this and more to Jenna. Whenever and wherever she wants. She doesn't always take you up on it. But every time she does, she becomes a little more dependent. The rest is simply patience. Socialite you. The social butterfly and town gossip. Sometimes it seems like you're everywhere and nowhere at once. That gives you access to a lot of spicy rumors, mostly about Jenna's friends and suitors. It's sad to see her become more isolated from them, one by one, but you try to be selective. The wrong word could ruin someone and leave Jenna nowhere to turn but you. Fitness you. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck me, man. You're in the same gym. What a coincidence. Luckily for her, you have some experience as a personal trainer. You let her know that she could stand to drop a pound or two, and you'd be willing to help at a cut rate. Mm. You'll be there for encouragement, and tips, and touching. Always touching. Ever closer. Business you! You and Jenna are in the same industry, but thanks to a quiet word or two from your dad, you're just a little further ahead. You tell Jenna that you consider yourself her mentor, and you'll be there for any advice she needs. Or anything else. Patriot you. You're back from serving your country, and you've got the medal to prove it. It's about time you had your reward. An acre, a mule, and Jenna. She has to appreciate what you've given for her freedom. Who wouldn't? You let Uncle Sam break you down and put you back together again, and you'll be damned if some harlot from bug shit nowhere turns you down. Damned. Showbiz you. You're a star now. Just like the ones she said she loved on TV. Isn't that enough? What does she want? What does she want? That said, regardless of what she wants, there are certain casting opportunities that can make it easier for her. Or difficult. I think I have lymphoma now. (laughs) (laughs) This is not to say that this premise is cancerous. No, this premise is carcinogenic. (laughs) This is made of just such liquid fucking hatred that I think it's actually just dangerous to listen to. (laughs) Not dangerous like a dangerous idea. No, I mean personally dangerous to one's health. I uh, call it bottled fucking hypertension. (laughs) Go on. I guess. I feel like this is making my life actively worse. 
There are only two endings. <laughs> There's one ending left in as a as a developer error. You're out buying glue and straw for a voodoo doll of Jenna. When you bump into another customer. Her name's Vivian, and she's making a doll of some guy named Harold. You let her know that Harold sounds like a real putz who doesn't appreciate the artistry behind her love. She asks if you have any tips for a good sperm jacking. You say you've given it some thought, and you both head to a cafe. And then, there's a normal end. I guess, that, was that the remission ending? That's the remission ending. <laughs> that is the remission ending. This is like the best you could possibly fucking hope for. On the way to buy some wax and glue for your voodoo doll of Jenna, you're hit by a stray bus. The impact <laughs> doesn't kill you immediately, but instead, you are dragged several blocks behind the bus <laughs> as frantic passengers try to dislodge you. The arterial spray is everywhere as you are ground down to the nub of your knees. Jesus fuck. <laughs> you are brought back to the hospital where you slowly go septic. <laughs> There, in your bed, you wait for your beloved visitor, Jenna, to appear. You die waiting. <laughs> and that's my round of dating sim pitches. Someone's uh, going to fucking listen to this episode and die. <laughs> I, 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 I hesitate to use such a fucking meme of a word, but this is cursed, Denard. <laughs> Like, cursed in the way that the fucking videotape from the ring is cursed. I kind of sat down and tried to think, Alright, Denard, you did looking back last time. Is it possible to take it further beyond the possible? <laughs> yeah, I think I think you did it. I, I think I have to do, like, a third round of these. I, I, I'm basically competing with myself now. This is... Like, every time Morgan tells me to come up with a stupid fantasy premise, this is... No, no, a bad... She... They tell me to come up with a bad-slash-terrible fantasy premise. This is the sort of thing that I give them, but, you know, more fantasy-flavored. Very nice, very nice. Actually, if I do a sequel, this will probably be isekai-based. That's not a bad idea. I could rattle. I could rattle that shit off for days. Uh, we could. We could. We could, like, we could tilt that windmill a little bit. Uh, a little bit harder. You could always tilt that windmill harder. You know, as long as it's twitching there, it can take another kick or two. So, which one of these games do you think you'd be uh, most likely to play, Sam? It's the th the third one. No, like I. It it's one of those things that I'd sort of just need to bask in for a little bit. I think I've said this before, just a premise that just so actively despises you. Just a work of media that fucking wants you to die. <laughs> and would murder you if it were capable of doing so. It's There's something I respect about such media. And this is, the third one is definitely the closest to it. Thank you, Sam. That touches me here. This weird thumpy thing next to where a normal human heart should be. <laughs> I think you'd, you'd actually shared the first two with me as you were writing them. This one... 
this one is uh this, one was, this a was the live reaction to that. <laughs> Christ. Do you wanna do uh we wanna do mine now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm ready for the uh Sam Legault show. I'm ready for an earnest effort. Alright. We're gonna stay for one song and one song only. This is Backstage Heat. Or perhaps shooting on you. I haven't decided on which one I like oh, better. Oh, those are both great. Premise: A visual novel. Oh, oh, hybrid. Wait, before we get to the premise. Shit. Okay. Uh, shooting on you if it's an H game. Backstage heat if it's um PG fied. Um, I sort of considered it to like it. It it's, it's like Katawa Showa, right? It's you know mostly you know it's like ninety five percent not porn. All right, you're gonna have to call but it like, backstage you know, there heat is 5%. Then because shooting on you the. The the ejaculate pun makes itself. Yeah, I know, I know, because that's like that's the thing. I I I didn't want it to, but it did anyway. It, it's it's where we're at. It's where we're at. Yeah, I, you, there was no avoiding it. Okay, premise: a visual novel hybrid Bashoho slash Atome genre dating sin set within a fictional unnamed professional wrestling promotion that stars a young up and coming Joshi wrestler as she navigates the first years of her career in the mainstream while also navigating one of five relationships she can develop with her colleagues. Um, again, this was me just trying to fucking do the thing. There's fucking great. Uh, very little irony present in any of this. There's one route that's kind of ironic, but, you know, playfully so. You'll see. Okay. Looking forward. Protagonist. You are Mako Masefa, the 25-year-old Japanese Samoan scion of two wrestling dynasties. In the Indies, you are known as a prodigious technical wrestler slash high flyer with a Hurricane Rana that make Will Ospreay blush and serious strong style chops. The one criticism you have always received is that you have not been able to develop either your promos or persona to where they need to be in order for you to really shine in the big times. It just doesn't come naturally to you. Uh, much of your character arc has to deal with the weight of expectations on your shoulders. You have no less than six relatives who held a world championship belt at one point or another, and you've got several older cousins and siblings-in-law lighting up the squared circle even now. Pretty much everyone you meet has some question or another about your recently deceased father, how you plan on breaking out of his shadow, and the extent of your talents. Hell, there's a plurality of smarks out there who think you're nothing special and don't want to see you anywhere close to the main event. As a result, you're full of self-doubt and begin the game in the midst of an identity crisis as you struggle with what kind of wrestler you're going to be and if you even have a choice in the matter. You're naturally hot-blooded and enthusiastic, but all of this doubt has led you to become somewhat impulsive as well and prone to doing shit with huge consequences without thinking it over first. Huh, I really like the amalgam of sort of different figures you've put together there, actually. I, I, I sort of, like, good job doing the thing instead of making a ball of <laughs> toxic hatred. Toxic, ironic hatred. <laughs> I sort of had this idea of, you know, what if Paige was also The Rock or something? It seems that you get the format, too, because I could imagine in in one of these games, both the good studio's version and a terrible studio's version of them sort of choking on the mic. Yeah, okay, yeah. I hadn't really much thought about that sort of thing. Like, the worst version would be a bunch of blushing, you toss the microphone behind you, mumbling something about senpai. Baka. <laughs> Yeah, no, okay, yeah, no, if we were, like, leaning really fucking deep into the anime thing, then yes, the the Hell World version of 
one of her bad promos just involves her doing the fucking Sundari thing. Man. <laughs> Christ. I need to spend like 10 minutes outside of Hellworld one day. It's fun out here. You should you should you should you should come over more. <laughs> Are you sure? Uh, I was thinking of a sequel, but go on. All right. So, love interests. First up, Johnny X-Ray. One of the company's top heels and kind of a cold fish backstage. He believes himself to be one of the absolute best in the business and a defensible candidate for GOAT. Uh, he keeps people, especially romantic suitors, at an arm's length because he knows how rough the touring schedule of pro wrestling can be on relationships and prefers to go it alone. He's been hurt before and he doesn't want to be hurt again. His root sees you allied against him in the ring with Crash Contreras, a recently unmasked luchador and one of X-Ray's only real-life friends. When Contreras suffers from a legit shoulder injury that'll put him out for a few months, management rolls the dice on having you carry his torch and putting you in a feud with Johnny. Uh, the result is ratings dynamite. You get stupidly over with the fans for being be- a believable underdog, and X-Ray gets nuclear heat for his in-ring viciousness towards a younger, smaller wrestler, and all of his promos where he gloats about ending Contreras' career and promising he'll end yours. But as you two put on match after match, there's a connection beyond mere ring psychology that grows between you, and it culminates in a steamy hotel room session at the Marriott they put everyone up at the night before a big pay-per-view. Johnny, real name Dave Hebert, and he begins to prefer that you call him that, starts to open up to you about who he really is, a deeply lonely perfectionist who has to be the best because the ring is all he has. He was previously engaged to another wrestler with whom he came up through the Indies, but their relationship fell apart when he picked the demands of the main event over her. It is his biggest regret. For your part, you find his presence in your life assuages many of your doubts as your instant classic feud has made you a better wrestler than you ever thought you could be in this short amount of time. And it makes you feel like you're living up to all those expectations your family saddled you with. You're exactly the star everyone wanted you to be, and maybe even more. But problems arise. Following Johnny's advice that the direction your character goes should be ultimately up to the worker, you decide to go for an unplanned ref bump slash low blow to win a pay-per-view match you were originally booked to lose. Management is furious to you, but the fans, Quaid at the fuck up, and Johnny convince them to roll with this as it allows them to do one of the hardest storyline gimmicks to pull off. The double turn. Career-wise, Leave this is that great man's both. genitals alone, villainous. <laughs> Career-wise, this is great for you both, but X-Ray quite obviously resents that you did something this big without telling him first, and you resent that it took his intervention to save you from getting buried as punishment for going off script. It's not like you legit attacked him, and you gave the ref warning. This leads to either the good end, the neutral end, or the bad end. In the bad end, your failure to communicate leads to a fateful botched spot that leaves you both legit injured. The two of you go through a bitter breakup afterwards as you blame one another for the botched and resolve to go it alone from now on. In the neutral ending, the feud culminates in a legendary match at the biggest pay-per-view of the year. Uh, The ending is never revealed as it doesn't matter. Uh, But afterwards, Johnny explains that he thinks you two were better in the ring when you weren't dating and breaks it off somewhat amicably, asking you to start calling him by his in-ring name again. The good end is only available if you picked an earlier option and told him about your doubts. He will have revealed his as well. He hates what the business has done for him and wants a way out on his terms. There's a short scene a few weeks before the pay-per-view where he says that we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, During the TV event, it's announced that this will be a lose-retires match, and then the scene jumps immediately to the match itself. It plays out identically, except it's clear that you win this time. After the match, Dave 
tells you that that was the best match of his life and that he's excited for his next life with you after wrestling. Good end. Cool outline. You know what's fucked up? What's that? Once you know about wrestling, the best ending to this guy's story you could think of was him getting the fuck out. <laughs> like, I, I've watched enough Dark Side of the Ring and listened to enough Ryan Alvarez or Big Dave. It's um, it gets dour out there. You, you want you want to get in there, spend maybe ten years, and then get the fuck out. Near as I can tell. Yeah, get, start to worry a bit when you start to recognize buildings, you know? Mm-hmm. All right, here, here's the next one, and this is my... This is the irony one slash, like, see if you could guess who this is about. Oh, oh okay, so this is Route 2? This is Route 2. Let's do it. Okay. His name, Warren DeBalkin. The gag route, even the bad end, is somewhat comic. A skinny, bespectacled former wrestler, just a couple of years older than you, who had to take an early retirement due to a career-ending injury. He is now a producer-slash-commentator-slash-booker who, if you choose his route, is assigned to be your on-screen manager in an attempt to get you over. He does not like this. Warren is a conservative in terms of wrestling. He's an avowed demsoch. Uh, Smark, who thinks that the business has gone downhill and sees you as emblematic of this Oh, wow, route. you made Vince you see Russo. him. Yeah, definitely Vince Russo. Yeah, cool. All right, let's uh, let's keep rolling. <laughs> you see him as an insufferable nerd and wonder why they bother keeping his ass around. Half of this Spruce content is just the two of you having humorous Aaron Sorkin-esque verbal sparring sessions. You try to convince him that he's a dinosaur, and he tries to convince you that you're cancer. <laughs> this works its way into your promos, and it helps you get over as a comedic heel. Your relationship develops past this bickering when, during a promo, you both kind of come to realize that at once that your mutual disdain has morphed into romantic tension and have a brief little almost kiss moment when you're knocked on top of one another during the segment. The two of you, very slowly and extremely carefully, begin to develop your relationship further, first by admitting your respect for one another, then sharing curb beers, uh, Warren tells you at one point that he does not go out for drinks, uh, then getting takeout and talking about something other than wrestling, then commiserating over the mistakes you've both made. Uh, Mako once spent a year at an awful indie promotion in Texas and is still grouchy about what went down. Warren killed his chances at a higher level creative position within the promotion because of how bitter he is. Uh, then figuring out how to forgive yourself for these things, then holding hands, then finally spending the night together at your apartment while you recover, quote-unquote, from a kayfabe injury. Warren calls you one night, excited. He's been able to recover from his injuries and has been cleared to return to the ring. This leads into the final act, where the good and the bad ends diverge. The bad end, which you get if, in an earlier argument, you imply that you got stuck with him as a slow burial on management's part, sees him deciding to leave the promotion and getting a fresh start in Japan and Europe, saying that he's had enough of pro wrestling in this country and doesn't want to keep sandbagging your career. He gets in a cab and tells you to look him up the next time you're back in Tokyo. The good end, which you get if in that earlier oh. argument you tell him it's his own fault uh, that he's this miserable, sees him pitching the idea of the two of you as a tag team. Yeah, it's the tag division, I know. Uh, <laughs> but you can either elevate it or at least have fun wrestling together because that's the reason you both do this anyway. The story ends with your tag team debut. Um, if the uh, figure... that This one was Morgan's favorite uh, for... Uh, I actually don't know why. Make of that what you will. 
Oh, that's interesting. Uh, I don't know if Morgan would be interested in the story of someone growing less bitter through attachment over time. That's weird. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> I'm going to have to hire a shrink on that one. If the figure you based that off in part yeah, okay, so I wrote this a while ago. This Before, is this is no, no, an older I'm not, I'm not, document. I'm not on you about that. I know that time makes fools <laughs> of us all. Look, we never know who's going to get fucking canceled next. I don't say that like it's a system doing it to them. I say that please stop grooming. Stop fucking grooming. I'm almost tempted to fucking add to the fucking document now with just a joke about... No, I should probably not do that. That'd be bad. That'd be... I shouldn't do that. That'd be bad. We, I could just say that this guy is based on Brian Alvarez instead. <laughs> it's not that accurate, but you know, I could, I could sell it certainly. Oh man, you know what I like of Brian? He's not bitter. He's just arbitrarily angry. It's just like a switch. <laughs> it's just a thing that he does. It's like a shown in <laughs> battle mode or something. Like he just shouts sage mode and starts yelling. <laughs> Just screams. Why? Into his microphone. <laughs> um, okay, so here's Route 3, um, which ended up, I think, being my favorite of all of them. I'm not sure, I look but I think so. To it. Looking forward to it. All right. So, Darby Lopez, your friend from the Indies who got signed not too long before you did. In the ring and on the mic, she is known for her hard edge and punk rocker gimmick, but she's very easygoing, though serious about her career, uh, went out of character. In her route, the two of you get organized into a stable with Angerboda, the vaguely Scandinavian wrestler with a shield maiden gimmick. The three of you are repackaged as vaguely leftist gorillas and run roughshod over the women's division, chasing the women's world title. Throughout this, Lopez uh, takes it upon herself to be the big sister of your stable and gets you to do all the non-wrestling stuff, or... Sorry. Throughout this, Lopez takes it upon herself to be the big sister of your stable and gets you all to do non-wrestling stuff together. In her opinion, you gotta be able to turn it off and just be human as often as you can. Uh, the two of you go closer. Angerboda is fairly aloof but appreciates your company uh, over the course of your many outings and conversations. You have a comical moment together during a movie night when Angerboda falls asleep prior to his sex scene in a movie and you try to both act like you're watching something else. <laughs> One night, she takes you up to the rafters of one of the stadiums where the night's episode is being taped. Damn it, I'm imagining a fucking arena cock rock version of Kiss the Girl. <laughs> the two of you had already made all the appearances you were going to that night. You kiss and begin a relationship. At first, things are great. Lopez thinks that all the expectations you've been saddled with are stupid and unfair, and being with her means that you can be free of them, if only for short periods of time. Still, this is enough, but you get the sense that Lopez is somewhat unsatisfied with her situation, though she hesitates to tell you what exactly it is that's bothering her. One fateful night, uh, the Masters producer tells you right before going out that you're going to brace yourself for a chair shot during the segment after hearing the line, Is that what you thought? You think nothing of it. Except when the moment comes, it comes from behind. The one delivering the chair shot is Lopez. She has, in universe, sold out your group to management and spends the next five minutes of the segment beating you at Anger Boda into submission before leaving with her new allies. You, your genuine shock sells the segment, but soon turns to anger as you scream at the departing Lopez from the ring, switching to Japanese so you can curse. The buckler. 
After the segment, you go on a tirade backstage, laying into Lopez and management, who stand by their decision to go for a work shoot. Lopez tries to apologize and explain that she was given a gag order a month ago, but it only disgusts you further that she's known this was coming for an entire month. You and the miff but less so Angerboda leave to hit up a bar the uh, three of you went to the last time you were in town. This is where the route diverges into th- its three endings. The bad end and neutral end happen if you spend the route trying to make Lopez responsible for your anxieties, something she expresses early on she's uncomfortable with doing. You'll get three chances to either ask her to do emotional labor for you or trust yourself to handle it. If you ask her more than once, you'll trigger the bad and neutral ends. All of these choices come uh, before the big in-ring betrayal. This will see you going through a nasty breakup that plays out both backstage and in the ring and ends one of two ways. At your blow-off match, you either take the pin as planned or kick out and force the guilty Lopez to take the pin instead. Either way, you ask for your release after the match. If you did the job like you were told, they grant it to you and you resolve to go back to Japan and forget all this. This is the neutral end. If you didn't, then management will tell you something to the effect of, fuck your release, you want to be a superstar, then that's what you're going to be. Your shoot victory propels you to stardom, and it feels impossibly hollow. Lopez is a stranger to you, and the rest of the locker room doesn't trust you anymore. This is the bad end. The good end happens if you don't let your relationship with uh, Lopez become dependent. Instead of a nasty breakup, things are just tense between you for a while until one day she invites you out to talk. You can refuse, which will railroad you into the neutral end where you take the pin like a good soldier and go back to Japan, or accept. If you accept, the two of you go for a walk in the park and make up. She apologizes to you for breaching your trust the way she did, and you apologize for expecting her to be a solution to all your problems. You have a particularly intense H scene in an isolated gazebo <laughs> that is drawn Sorry. that is drawn to resemble a. Is a funny t- <laughs> in an isolated gazebo that is drawn to resemble a wrestling ring. The blow-off match that is painful to experience in the neutral and bad ends is a euphoric, transformative, even erotic experience in the good end. As Darby goes for the cover, she confesses her love for you and you reciprocate. The story ends back in the rafters again where your relationship began. I like this one. Like, I, w- I would play this route and call it my favorite route if this game existed. I don't mean to, like, toot my own horn or anything. I can't... I can't write for this one because I'll keep trying to insert shield puns. Yeah, I know. I mean, like, uh, so you got it then. She's Seth Rollins. It would be deeply, it would be deeply off tone. (laughs) There was this sort of little thing where I'm like, what if, what if Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose? I think that that's an entire subgenre on certain corners of the internet. Corners called... (laughs) Every social media service that starts with a T, <laughs> and kind of 4chan too. It also, yeah. All right, here's the next one. Um, which I don't know. Is it my least favorite? Maybe I don't know. You'll have to tell me what you think. <clears throat> All right, Brian Broadside, the company's top babyface and one of the biggest superstars of all time. He's also one of the youngest to achieve such heights. Uh, Broadside is only five years older than you. Outside the ring, he's a gentle, soft-spoken man and a big brother to almost the entire locker room. Though a genuinely good dude, he is known to be a little private, preferring to talk about others. In his route, he takes you under his wing as he sees something special in you. 
Uh, you and Broadside enter into a relationship very early on in the route, uh, though he seems almost reluctant to do so for whatever reason. He becomes both a lover and an inspiration for you. You come from similar backgrounds. Uh, both of you are from Simone Wrestling Diocese, and you're in fact related by marriage. You have a similar career path, and you've both recently lost a parent. Uh, and he believes up and down that you can be an even bigger star than he ever could be. Two, Still, he remains somewhat for, mysterious. Um, two just interjections of stupidity. Sure, yeah, go for it. I was imagining what form the main upcoming conflict could take. And the two things that hit me were, when you said you're you unsure of the reason that he seems distant sometimes, I just imagine it slowly becomes clear that you're fucking 16 and he's another groomer. <laughs> I fucking... <laughs> God damn it. A, I swear I fucking wrote this before speaking out. B, I was very clear about the fact that your character is 25. <laughs> Excellent point. Excellent point. <laughs> I was not. It was put in no uncertain terms. What we? What was the second bit? Oh, the second bit of the marriage thing. I just imagined this somehow becoming stepsest. <laughs> All right, move forward. Fucking. Like, no, I feel like his sister was married to one of your cousins or something. That's what it looked like in my head. I know that you're not doing step to step. <laughs> I have more trust in that. I know you're not coming to <laughs> I know you're not going to hit me with Arrow Manga Sensei with suplexes. Mm. Anyway, still, he remains somewhat mysterious, and you start to wonder what he's getting out of your relationship. During a dark match one night, uh, Broadside botches a pretty routine spot for apparently no reason. Whether you choose to ask him about it or not, though his good end is contingent upon you doing so, he'll tell you that he suffered what should have been a career-delaying injury a few years back and pushed himself to recover from it way faster than he should have. As a result, he is in almost constant pain, but refuses to either retire or take painkillers. He'd be letting down everyone were he to do the former, and the latter would just destroy him a different way. He refuses to discuss the issue further, and though the two of you are happy together, the elephant is always there in the room. Only a few months into your relationship, which has been written into the story, he quote-unquote proposes to you during a segment, and though it's kayfabe, it feels real to you both. Later that night, however, he suffers a mild panic attack after his injuries cause him too much pain to be able to have sex, after which you have two choices. If, when he reveals to you his feelings of imposter syndrome that are a major source of his anxiety, you try to convince him that he's just not an imposter, it'll lead to the bad end. If you instead tell him that he doesn't have to be perfect, it'll lead to the good end. The bad end happens during the flagship pay-per-view. You have the best match of your career against Darby Lopez, and it seems like the night will go down in history. Which it will. During Broadside's match against Johnny X-Way, his desire to live up to his own legend sees him try to pull off a move that he is just not capable of and he boshes it, fracturing his knee so bad it ends his career for good. Once the ambulance pulls away, you never see him again. In the good end, he announces to the fans that he's going to need to miss the next pay-per-view, and probably the next dozen, so that he can properly rehab. But he promises they'll see him again. The two of you continue your relationship, seeing a little less of one another for now, but excited for his return. The route ends with your entrance for your match against Lopez, with Broadside cheering you on from the front row. I feel like this was like the, I don't know, probably the latest of all of them. Yeah, it's the latest of all of them, but I don't know, I actually like the character. If it's the weakest one, it's not like a relatively bad entry, you know what I mean? This was like my me trying to write the Lily Root and sort of like what if what if the Rock was also like the sort of what what, what is the character type like the 
Yamato Nadashiko, I think, is oh, the, 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 the like the sort of ah oh my goddess kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Ah, uh, okay. So I guess it depends whether or not you consider the Lily route characterized by the sort of perfect oblessness of of said waifu target, or by the soap opera amnesia kind of shit that happens. Because I was about to say one of them is the Lily route is definitely the shield one. You betrayed me. Betrayed me. <laughs> All right. Here's the last one. This one is literally just me transcribing a real-life angle that actually happened into visual novel format. See how long it takes you to work out who this is supposed to be. Oh, boy, oh, It'll boy, be oh, fun. boy, It'll oh, be a boy. fun little game. All right. The final route. Wisteria. The single best wrestler in the business right now and one of the best of all time. She laughs at gravity, sweats charisma, looks like a superhero, and commands the adoration of the fans like they don't even have a choice. She's unattainable in every sense, and you want to fight her so bad she's half the reason you came to this promotion after so long in Japan. In her route, much more of which plays out in the ring than the others, and you are rarely told how much of it is in kayfabe and how much of it isn't, uh, you have a match with her at your pay-per-view debut and are barely able to keep up. It's exhilarating, though, and the two of you feel an instant connection as if this were destiny or something. During a battle royal not soon after... Are you the silver lovers? You weren't supposed to fucking guess that until later. (laughs) (laughs) I'm fucking During a battle royal... Not soon after, the two of you team up and dominate for almost all of it, and you are only eliminated due to heel trickery. It becomes clear that the two of you were meant to work together, forming a tag team slash two-man stable, as you both compete in uh, singles and tag divisions, called Winged Vengeance. Together, you both reign ascendant, moving practically as one when together and elevating one another when solo. Over the course of a year, this route plays out over a longer period of time than the others, uh, you capture multiple titles. At the suggestion of uh, another wrestler, you start checking social media and dirt sheets to see what the Smarks are saying. It's nothing you weren't expecting. But something starts to feel wrong. Throughout everything, it feels like Wisteria will always be the prodigy, the paragon, and you will always be just her... What, protege, beloved, you're not even sure anymore. You know you love her, yes, but you find her growing more beyond you with every passing night. The smarks on social media start to get to you. One night, after a rare defeat, you confront her about this in a promo. Would Wisteria have lost? Would it have hit Hysteria as hard? Would Wisteria count all her failings and shortcomings, unable not to? Because how can she stand in the ring with someone beyond a wrestler, beyond human even, and feel anything less than, well, less than? You leave the ring in frustration when she can't produce a satisfactory answer. Later, you both advance to the finals of a tournament for the vacant world championship. Uh, Brian Broadside had to vacate it due to injury. And the match is impossibly a brutal. Web between plots, you see. Mm. You can't, uh, you just, uh, you know that you can't beat her on her own terms, so all you have is your drive to win, and it just doesn't seem like enough until you start using heel tactics. The chair, the rope pole, the ring bell, finally exhausting her to the point where you can lure into the turnbuckle Toreador style and land your finisher for the win. Is this the Neil Gaiman entry I'm going to pause it, by the way? Nuclear heat. You are scum. They are scum. You pick up the mic and take them to task for their idolatry. You P 
people out there wanted a goddess, but you got me. Winged Vengeance is dead. Wisteria's gone by the time you turn to address her, unable to face what you've become, and you jeer her for her cowardice. An indeterminate amount of time passes. And in it, you have assembled a heel stable called Iron Vengeance to help you protect your prize. Wisteria has been gone for all of this time, and you are hated like none other. But one day, after celebrating another defense, she reappears in the middle of your promo and promises to eat her way through Iron Vengeance until it's just the two of you. Then, she declares, we will have our reckoning. And that's exactly what happens. Faster than you can fathom, she's beaten every one of your stablemates, even getting them to turn on even one another. Even Mr. Ass? Until it's... Even Mr. Ass. Until it's just you and her. This is where the good end and bad ends diverge. In the bad end, you rally Iron Vengeance and demand they be at ringside to defend you. When the match comes, they do everything they can, but Wisteria is beyond them and beyond you. Frustrated, you forcibly put one of them between you and her to take her finisher. This seals your fate. One member of the stable distracts Dysteria for a moment while your enforcer turns on you, crippling you with a sledgehammer blow and disappears. Wisteria doesn't want to win like this, but you spit at her pity and demand that she just end it. In what plays out like a mercy killing, she covers you for the pin, tells you she's sorry for how everything went down, and leaves you in tears on the mat, broken, beaten, humiliated, and alone. In the good end, you dictate the stipulations. It's gonna be a cage match! No disqualifications and any and all weapons on the table. You muzzle your stable, telling them to simply sit in the front row and watch. Yeah, Mr. S. What follows... What follows is a painful, brutal grudge match between you and Wisteria that gets to a point where you don't even remember why you ever hated her this bad. Didn't you love her once? It shouldn't be like this. You made a mistake. Staring defeat in the face, you apologize and strike your old winged vengeance pose as she hits you with her finisher for the pin. The pop is deafening, and you are in a state of euphoria as the audience cheers. Wisteria helps you to your feet and offers to hug it out. At first you can't, but emotion overcomes you, and not only do you embrace her, you kiss her in front of God and everyone, and she is only too happy to accept. The world around you seems to disappear, and then it literally does as the scene transitions to after the pay-per-view, as you share a far more private kiss in a dressing room after everyone has left. We made it, she declares. This started as me just aping the fucking Golden Lover storyline, but then it became about Triple H and Shawn Michaels. I noticed that, and first off, I like this one. So this is just a joke. Because of my degree of irony poisoning, right before that last case, I just imagine just the fucking knee-to-chin fucking boom <laughs> <laughs> Knee to face. But yeah, you got, you got really inventive with these. I'm impressed, Sam. I mean, not that inventive. They are all. You did a lots of theft in these, Sam. Good jump, wrestler that I like. Lots of foot, lots of footwork in these thefts. You got to, you got to case the joint. You got to, you know, cut a cut a little hole in the glass with the thing. <laughs> the first one seems to be the least based on anyone. I think in my head, this guy looks like Edge. That was that was just what I was working with. I think I actually like the first one the best, come to think of it. Interesting. Okay. So once again, like I said, when it comes to these things, I think there's a lot of projection and maybe that's just the kind of dynamic I'm interested in. Oh, certainly, yeah. I think I was I was definitely going the most high concept with the fifth one. I think I liked What the fucking um, Neil Gaiman metafiction one? <laughs> where the entire thing <laughs> takes yeah, place yeah. in K <laughs> It was 
It was me just seeing what I could do with it. Someone um, who I, goes my... from like Mr. Perfect to that one is going to be mad confused by the way. <laughs> It'd be a really interesting one to play first. Uh, like, and then have all the other ones sort of play out slightly more, you know, conventionally. Yeah, then you guys wait. So is my person just off their pills in my favorite one then? <laughs> I think Girl Seth Rollins was still my favorite one. I, I can't imagine why. I, I can't imagine what led to that for you. It's a mystery. Um, yeah, so that's... Hey, that's quick question, backstage heat. Sam, Quick question. What's up? What's Seth Rollins thing? If you mm-hmm. really hate Brock Lesnar and you yeah. like Seth Rollins and because yeah. of that you wanted Seth Rollins to beat Brock Lesnar and then yes. you watched all those matches, doesn't mm-hmm. that mean they just won? No, but it's hard to explain why. I'm just fucking with you. It's pretty easy to explain <laughs> why and because I, <laughs> there's no layer of metafictional I heard where you could tell me that I am having fun. The, the, there's that, and then just, you know, the difference between heat and go-away heat. It's a thing. It is tangible. Mm-hmm. Anyway, these have been some creative works by myself and Mr. Legault. Actually, let me phrase that. These are This, this has been some creative work from Mr. Legault and <laughs> me channeling something from... Before men crawled out of their caves. Oh, just like you at your most you. <laughs> it is me at my most me. Oh yeah, sorry about all the fucking editing you're going to have to do for all the fucking line flubs that I had throughout reading that. I double spaced it, but even I can't... Uh... Death comes for all of us eventually. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to support us as beautiful young artists, you can go to weaboohell.com. W e e a b o o h e l l, and that will lead to a subsection of the Seymour Evil website. That's our sort of brand halo, but you don't give a shit about that because you're probably just here for the fucking anime shit. Which you know, defensible. Defensible, yeah. I, I I get that. I get that. Next week, by the way, Shin Godzilla, eh, eh, old laser mouth. Eh. This is you know, open on harbor. Where have I seen this before? You know, echoes of the past going into the future. Anyway, I am Denard Dale, a.k.a. Blind Monkey. I am Sam Legault, a.k.a. Mute Monkey. Really, just the former Mute Monkey. I'm I'm, I'm mostly Sam Legault Thank now. you for listening to us talk about dating sims, uh, wrestling, and uh, Fuck 12. And <laughs> this is Weeaboo Hell. Oh, yeah, this is Weeaboo Fuck 12 Hell. It's Fuck 12 Weeaboo Hell. <laughs> No, you misspelled it. You misspelled it. You misspelled it. You misspelled it. Fuck. Okay. <laughs> you can go to weeaboohell.com. Sam, spell that out. W E E. No, fuck. You didn't misspell it. Motherfucker. <laughs> wow. I mean, for some reason in my head, it was spelled weebahoo. That. Okay. I'm just going to do it again. Whatever. All right. <laughs> you can go to. C- I'll shut the fuck up now. Right.